Hello, and welcome to the February Respiratory Care Podcast. This month's editor's choice is a bench evaluation of continuous flow and pulse dose oxygen delivery from a portable oxygen concentrator. Chen and colleagues used a sophisticated 3D printed replica of the human respiratory system to determine the volume of oxygen reaching gas exchange units. They found that the highest oxygen delivery was achieved at the highest pulse dose settings, but that continuous flow delivery delivered the greatest absolute volume averaged FiO2. They conclude that while pulse dose was a more efficient mode of oxygen delivery, continuous flow delivered a greater absolute volume of oxygen per breath. The accompanying editorial describes the issues related to portable oxygen concentrators and how the operation of these devices befuddles patients, confuses caregivers, and even obfuscates the goals of oxygen delivery. Targeted oxygen saturation should be preferred to an order for leader flow and performance of portable concentrators made understandable for all stakeholders. Nakanisha et al. compare passive and active humidification in adult subjects with tracheostomy. Not surprisingly, heat humidification far outperformed the heat and moisture exchanger with respect to absolute humidity. The major difference being temperature and absolute humidity as a relative humidity was 100% with both devices. Goma et al. opine that the differences here are expected, but that cost and portability also play important roles in humidification device decision-making. Mendez and co-workers describe the impact of diaphragmatic breathing exercise with and without perslip breathing in a group of COPD subjects over a four-week period of observation. The main outcomes were evaluations of chest wall kinematics, breathlessness, and chest wall asynchrony. They report that both breathing exercises studied reduced breathing frequency, but increased chest wall asynchrony compared to quiet breathing. Dyspnea remained unaffected. Misu et al. described the role of exercise-induced oxygen desaturation and monitoring functional decline in subjects with COPD. They report that exercise-induced desaturation during a six-minute walk test predicted the decline in functional capacity in these subjects. These findings were mirrored by airflow limitation. The impact of altitude on physiology is a frequent field of study. Sid Juarez and others report on the inspiratory and vital capacity of subjects living in Mexico City at a moderate altitude of about 2,200 meters. They found that inspiratory capacity in healthy subjects at this altitude was higher than reported values at sea level for the same height, gender, and age. These data are important for pulmonary function interpretation. Agamadi et al. endeavored to describe the perceptions of respiratory therapy students on the clinical learning environment using an evaluation scale. In this small sample of 34 students they studied, the majority rated the clinical learning environment positively and were satisfied with the clinical instructor team model. COPD is a major health burden around the world. Quiros, Rolden, and co-workers described the incidence of COPD in a cohort of subjects with HIV infection. They found that COPD was underdiagnosed in HIV-infected individuals and encouraged evaluation of these patients for chronic respiratory diseases. Oates and others evaluated the difference in objective and self-reported adherence to airway clearance therapy in subjects with cystic fibrosis. All subjects were using high-frequency chest wall oscillation equipped with a data logger to record use. They found that only a third of subjects had an adherence greater than 80% of the prescribed measured by the device. In contrast, two-thirds of subjects self-reported high adherence. Subjects prescribed greater than an hour of airway clearance therapy a day were three times as likely to over-report adherence. Lower income and therapy in multiple households increased over-reporting. 
Maze et al. described the use of a mobile device to record inspiratory capacity during a six-minute walk test. The mobile system was reasonably tolerated and could differentiate between healthy subjects and those with COPD. The utility of this device in clinical practice is yet to be proven. Osoy and co-workers described the primary factors impacting activities of daily living in subjects with COPD using London Chest Activity of Daily Living Scale. In a small group of subjects, they found that functional exercise capacity and expiratory muscle strength were associated with a reduction in the activities of daily living. They suggest that programs to improve functional exercise capacity are warranted. Tracheobronchopathia osteochondroplastica are benign lesions of the trachea and bronchiomycosa with a multiple nodular hyperplasia of bone or cartilage tissue protruding into the airway lumen. Meg and others report the major clinical findings in a group of 76 subjects with this disease. Cough was the primary presenting system, symptom followed by hemoptysis. The frequent incidence of TO requires that diagnosis be accomplished using clinical suspicion, bronchoscopy, histopathology, and radiographic findings. A number of studies published this year have evaluated transcutaneous monitoring of carbon dioxide in pediatric subjects. Bala and others compare arterial carbon dioxide to transcutaneous CO2 in 184 pediatric subjects, the majority of whom were receiving mechanical ventilation. They also attempted to predict a second arterial CO2 using data from the first comparison. They conclude that transcutaneous CO2 monitoring was a useful adjunct method, but that it could not reliably replace arterial CO2 measurement. Caudron et al. provide a review of the pulmonary thromboses and pediatric ARDS and advance an algorithm triggered by an increase in dead space to identify patients at risk. They suggest that early identification and treatment may improve outcomes. Karthika and others describe the use of lung ultrasound in clinical medicine and the role of the respiratory therapist in bringing this technology to the bedside. We thank you for listening to the Respiratory Care Podcast. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.